0: Good morning, this is Brad Perlin, your Monday host on Vermont Viewpoint here at Historic WDEV in Waterbury, Vermont. Uh, A little chilly out there, Uh, Camel's Hump was clear, the air is clear, The, the weather's cold and winter's a coming, that's my prediction and that's an easy thing to do. I did, we were talking earlier, I did take a dip in the lake yesterday with a friend and uh she was in much longer than i was <laughs> she was far braver and i uh came out of the water uh, we were up to our neck and then uh i slowly made my way to shore put a towel on and uh went up and got by the fire so that was uh that was my sunday uh we've got a great show today we're going to be starting in a in a little bit with uh Tyrone Shaw Tyrone has so many hats. We'd take an hour just to talk about all of his background and stuff. But we're going to really cue in on uh, a wonderful book that he wrote called Bastard Republic and uh, talk about uh, his journey and ventures and and other things as well. At 10 o'clock, we have Jane Youngbauer, uh, who is – been a long time volunteer with Destination Imagination and uh, an organization that really helps uh, students and gives them an activities that are very thoughtful and uh, mind challenging. At ten thirty, Carl Rosenquist is going to join us. He has a lot of hats too: former state rep, Georgia Select Board member, and I'm bringing him on today. He's a Vietnam vet, and we're going to. Recognize Veterans Day, which was uh, started uh, right after World War One, the war to end all wars, but as it turns out, didn't quite work that way. And uh, so uh, we've got a great show. Hope we you stay with us, and uh, we appreciate you, the listeners. We can't do radio without you. Want to start now? Uh, welcome to WDEV in Vermont Viewpoint, Tyrone Shaw.
1: A pleasure to be here. This is kind of like being in a living museum. <laughs> totally. When I was 10 years old, I remember listening to The Hermit of Hunger Mountain and one of my favorite weather lines. It's so wet up here, the rocks are soggy. And then, of course, even back then, and I'm talking way, way back, uh, music to go to the dump by. Right. Which was uh, Ken was started that, didn't he? It was, it was yeah,
0: and still deck. very popular.
1: Yeah, it was very popular <laughs> when I was a little kid.
0: Yeah, so. wow.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the fact the bell they ring is, I think, right behind you. Uh, so there's uh, there there is a tremendous amount of history here, and you're no stranger to uh, radio and or you know print journalism that. That's an early part of your career, right? And
1: Both, in fact. Yeah. Um, I started out in community journalism, and that's where my heart is. And then when uh, Johnson had a journalism program, it we specialized in community journalism, and we, we got a good long run out of it. Um, many of our alums are working in Vermont media today or regional media, uh, Tommy Gardner being one of them, the Stowe Reporter. Yep. Um, it just, it was a great ride. I loved being in journalism and I loved radio too. For two years I was with, uh, WWSR, of course, which, of course, um, <laughs> and it was crazy. I love, I just, radio was great fun. The only part about it I didn't like was being inside 10 hours a day, which is what my work day was. I do the morning shift, come in before uh, about six o'clock, open the station up. Do the first newscast, was news director, and then in the afternoon I became the uh, drive-time host on WLFE for a show called Afternoon Delight, which is not unlike uh, Jeff Angione's show that I so miss on LVB, just really beautiful alt-country stuff. I I love radio, always have, um, and I love journalism.
0: Yeah, you talk about the hours. Our own Lee Cattell is up at O'Dark 30, and, he, you know, he, there's probably not too many cars on the road when he comes to the station and gets things going. So, uh, But what was the – you said this has been a long-time passion. What, was there an impetus for this or role models or just your own unique curiosity?
1: Well, as a kid, I, I had puerile fantasies, of course, about being uh, Clark Kent.
0: Okay, <laughs> and,
1: and it just all seemed so glamorous to me. Yeah, and as it turned out, it was more fun than than I could have imagined. But I got propelled into journalism uh, for pretty bad reasons, and that was primarily the Paul Lawrence affair. Okay, where yeah, and I'm sure you know the backstory: a rogue cop framing over 90 people on serious drug charges in the early 70s in Franklin County. And I was playing in a band at the time, Homebrew, and um, working as a dishwasher, and watching this all go down. And the grace of God and perhaps the, um, the benign influence of Jim Levy, who represented a lot of these kids pro bono, I mean, he was one of the few real heroes in this whole sad saga, as was Pat Leahy. Yeah. Um, I thought, what's the media doing? With one exception, and that exception was a guy named Steve Jackson at the county, what is now the county courier, or what now was. Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace. yeah, Bon O'Shea's paper, um, with Chris at the helm, Chris O'Shea, uh, was the only news outlet really to credibly challenge Lawrence's path through, you know, framing all these kids. And I thought, you know, if journalists really had done their job, this would have never happened. It just would have just not gone down this way. And that's what really got me into uh community journalism.
0: Wow. Uh we had uh Jim Levy and Jason Barney on. I had them on a, a few weeks ago and we Great. T- we <laughs> talked about it and fifty years ago, right? Yeah. So it was uh, but a remarkable it was society was sort of accepting this rogue cop and uh validating him and and lo and behold uh, a lot of people 's lives were ruined,
1: yeah Jim laid his life on the line to try to stop it, yeah, and um forever respectful of him for that, yeah, it took a lot of courage to do what he did,
0: very courageous. And you talk about the county courier, a weekly that was around forever, um, Bon O'Shea and then uh, Chris I started O'Shea. I work for Bun. You did, yeah. <laughs> that, that's cutting teeth, right? Oh,
1: you know, it was, it was, it was so magical because we were one of the few hot lead papers left east of the Mississippi. Yeah. Um, and every Wednesday, Alan Venselette would start doing the lead boil. You know, to make the mats.
0: Seriously. To
1: point the mats for the ads. Wow. Um, It was all letterpress. um, Two linotype machines that would perpetually break down. One ancient circa 1898 photo engraving machine. Just insane ancient technology. And uh, so lucky to have been part of that.
0: And Bunn was really sort of like um, the, the Democrat advocate in a conservative world. Is that right? Or? Yeah, well,
1: he was the Democrat Party, Democratic Party sacrificial lamb.
0: Yeah. And, <laughs> OK.
1: In, in, any, in any election. Uh, Bunn, Nat Warman, there were just sure. so many interesting people. Yeah. As I was cutting what teeth I had, uh, working with Chris, Working with uh, Richard Copperthwaite. Of course. It was just an incredibly fun time.
0: I still regard Richard Copperthwaite as one of the most credible journalists, uh, writers
1: around now. He, he's... With, without question. Yeah. One of the things that I've heard said, I mean, I knew it full well because I worked closely with Richard. Um, he never, ever misquoted me or took my words out of context. Yeah. That's what people would say. And, and I hope they said that about me too.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they did. Uh,
1: it was great. I was so lucky to have all that. And then the uh, WWSR, which the joke at the station of course was world's worst sounding radio, <laughs> <laughs> but it was really fun. And the Kimmel family treated me really well. I don't know why I was maybe their token Trotskyite. Um, but they were just lovely to work for, all of them.
0: And it was really prime radio. Franklin County was engaged in this station and had its yeah. regular callers and uh Tess is, Bushy. Yeah, Tessie <laughs> Bushy for sure. Uh, so just great. Now um we're talking this morning with Tyrone Tyrone Shaw, and Tyrone has uh been has so many hats, as I mentioned earlier. Uh teacher uh he's been overseas with a fulbright um scholarship uh to to do teaching um, in the uh hit well you can tell us and uh teach literature at johnson state college and uh my memory uh the throbulators was one of the the rock bands of franklin county and probably beyond franklin county in the day and that was quite an adventure too, I'm sure. That
1: was a <laughs> that was a 9-year wild ride and we were I would call us a regional band. We we'd play as far west and north as Toronto and as far south as Captiva Island. Wow. So we moved around. Uh it was just an incredibly fun band and we were a family. For those nine years and, and beyond, that it continued. But uh, with Danny Cohen, Kathy Finney, Jirait and Jacob Hyder. yeah, and and yours truly, um, we were just very very close. And I think to do the music that we did, we had to have been, and it was just a gift to all of us to have been able to do it.
0: Well, you're a very tight band in both respects. You're tight as yeah, yeah. Uh, and Danny Cohen is like. He, he, he was <laughs>
1: – he's hard about, to
0: explain, Danny he, Cohen. You can't.
1: You just have to experience
0: it. <laughs> Puts on his sunglasses and he goes into the
1: past or something. Well, for him, it's not. Uh,
0: yeah. You know, right. he's
1: there. I don't know what strange things happen to him. But my God, the energy with that man and and, and you couldn't have a person more fun to be in a band with. Yeah. And that one for for Jacob um, – and for Kathleen they they're just remarkably sideways people in the best possible way we was, had a lovely time
0: was there a mature one in the group or not
1: you're looking at him buddy
0: w- wow that Boy. tells
1: you something it
0: tells me something <laughs> <laughs> you were okay well so uh you also have put together you and your wife are very involved in music in Bakersfield Uh, in a couple different
1: ways, right? Well, East Fairfield. East
0: Fairfield, okay. So
1: um, about 10 years ago, four of us, um, Nance and I and Bob Iwaskevich and Michelle Bissett, bought this beautiful old church in East Fairfield. And we did that because it was pretty clear that if someone didn't do something, it was going to, be gone. Yeah, and we were serious about this. We paid cash for that building. Wow, it was a dollar. Wow. Um, not, yeah, I didn't know that story, but it was cash.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and so a quarter a piece, essentially. Yeah.
1: yeah. But still, you know, yeah. back in you know ten years ago, that was big money,
0: <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> and we, our plan was we we devised a ten year plan to restore the meeting house first to bring it up to some kind of structural stability and move on from there. And part of what we also wanted to do was create a venue, a really nice venue for performing musicians, primarily Vermont musicians, but not exclusively. And that's what happened. And we're 10 years into it. We're on schedule. And the music Series in the summers have been just absolutely wonderful. And the n- next one, which will be obviously this coming summer, we've got most of it booked already. Wow. And it's just been a true delight. tell you, I've been so lucky with with all of the endeavors. Um, and I think it's more like Mr. Magoo for me. It's just blind luck of having stepped into these beautiful experiences in terms of if you want to call it a career. Same thing with teaching. I I was 30 years at the Johnson campus, and it was the the best gig you could imagine. I loved it, but it was time. Yep. The the listeners can't see this because they they hear my voice, and as someone once pointed out to me, when they met me for the first time, when I was on the radio, they said, Oh, God, you're Tyrone Shaw? And I said, Yeah. "Ah." You know, I've been listening to you for a year, and I... I had in mind this, you know, real hunk, and and just look at you. <laughs> <laughs> that just doesn't seem fair to me. Oh, it's fine. I have a face for radio.
0: Here here we are. Um, of course, we're both dressed up with suit and tie here because we want to make a good impression on the listeners. You're absolutely right. Yeah, so it's, it's all important. And, and Greg Titus, my producer, um, he has actually a tuxedo, so it's really, you know. We're here to serve. Uh, So, Tyrone, we'll talk a little bit more about the music. Um, You were really bringing in big crowds um, post-COVID where a lot of venues suffered tremendously in the music scene. And I know that a lot of the musicians suffered for a couple years. But you, you helped bring them
1: back. Well, p- first of all, people were desperate for something like this yeah. in Franklin County. Yeah. Secondly, one of our big projects was to build the terrace out in front of the meeting house, right, you know, connected to it, yeah. which serves an additional purpose of being a concert stage for both the meeting house on the green concert series. It faces just right onto the green. It's a beautiful setting. And it became, instead of the old hay wagon, It became the um, stage for the annual Jig in the Valley, which is the community center's primary fundraiser, and they're located right behind us in what used to be an elementary school. Okay, yeah. So it gets a lot of action. Um, People really needed to get out into the fresh air and to have live music again. The the toll that COVID took on performing musicians is appalling. Yeah. And one of the things that we were able to do for our musicians was just guaranteeing them that if the series didn't happen, because this was started at the tail end of COVID, if it did not happen, they would get paid anyway. Wow. So, and that started off and we had been able to pay the bands well because we've now got sponsors you know, for the whole summer.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: And, uh, I mean, the sound system, Andre McCara has been part of your world. Andre
1: has been really helpful um, sometimes as a sound tech, although Brian Steele has been doing most of our sound reinforcement when bands don't do their own, and some bands prefer to do their own. But we've got a really good sound system now. Largely thanks to the input of Andre and Brian, yeah. So
0: nice. we're, we're we're good to go. Yeah, it's great, and it's it's not too far off the beaten path, but it's far enough that you feel like you're out, you know, in in a part of Vermont that you should see. So
1: it's 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 lovely. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I should stress also is when we first started, without the terrace outside, all shows were indoors in yep. the meeting house itself. Okay. Now that is a rain option. Yeah. For um, for large, louder bands, inside is suboptimal just because uh-huh. it's you know tin-plated walls, all that lovely old you know tin work. So it's a little live, but we've had we had Left Eye Jump in there last summer, and they, they are not a quiet, mild-mannered band. <laughs> and they they just were so professional that they 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 kind of read the room right away and got the sound tamped down so that it worked. And we're talking an eight-piece band yeah full throttle horns and drums and everything, but th- they did great, so we have that option. We don't have to cancel any shows because of weather now
0: and uh fine baked goods. <laughs> oh. Somebody knows how to bake up there. well,
1: Roland can tell you all about that Roland lejoy uh-huh. um, from from l v b He's now retired, okay, yeah, that's Marsha Brewster's Magic Touch. Wow, the food's really good at these shows, yeah, and the pies. Or as we say in Franklin County, the poi.
0: The boy, well, poi. Well, <laughs> a blueberry poi went home with me uh at the last one, and it was quite good. And in fact, I barely was able to get away because people thought that since I bought it, it was going to become a community.
1: Well, that's your <laughs> reputation as a generous man. <laughs> well, thank you so much.
0: So uh, we've got a little time before our 930 break, but I want to, you know, I grew up. Uh, and I w- we'll get into a poem that you talk about in the book, but we at the dinner table, if you didn't finish your dinner, it, somebody was starving in China, right? And then uh, we feared the Russians because they were they were the threat. And I remember my dad actually showing me sort of a cement part of our house where if we, I heard this giant siren, I would run to. And I was only like four years old. I'm my dad's having this discussion with me. So our early learning about Russia was not exactly a positive experience. Yeah. Uh, and and then you you had cited a childhood poem which I never I never even remember about um what you do in an event
1: of Oh duck and cover.
0: Duck and cover, yeah.
1: That was de rigueur for all first graders.
0: Okay. I see, I, I looked out the window most of the time. (laughs) As if that
1: was going to save us.
0: Right. Right. (laughs) Under a desk with bombs exploding. Yes. Yeah. I know. It's quite a concept. Um, so you, where did, where did the interest of heading over? And, um, I love the beginning of the book. And we're talking about the Bastard Republic, a book that, uh, was published in two thousand sixteen.
1: Actually, the, the the second edition it was twenty nineteen. I think. Is this the second edition? I think it might be. Okay. Yes, this has Nikolai's photos in it. So this was. Okay. What do they say? Twenty nineteen.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so you were a Vermont journalist, and you headed over, and with those credentials, went to several countries. Um, beginning with what was Moldova
1: well actually beginning in 19 in 1988 which was the year the throbulators had their bumper sticker throbulate in 88 it's a collector's item now um, after a lifelong fascination with all things communist as i explained in in the, in the preface of the book yeah. I was kind of chasing a ghost and I realized that the last true Stalinist dictatorship in Europe was was Romania. Russia was already under Gorbachev becoming quite liberalized in its in last days as the Soviet Union. I, um, I decided to take myself yeah. to Dracula's castle in
0: Romania. Okay. We're talking this morning with Tyrone Shaw. He's the author of Bastard Republic. And I want to say... I, one of my favorite books is Day in the Life of, um, Ivan Dezanovich, Alexander, uh, Solzhenitsyn. Mm -hmm. And your book walks the same way as his book, I think. It, it, It just, it's a nice journey. It's, um, it's calm yet exciting. And, uh, it's a great read. And, um, we should, let's get into now where, where did the book come from? You obviously um, – it came a long time after you had traveled um, to these countries.
1: Well, it's only in in some respects. The Romania part – and the, the book for our listeners uh, is in several parts. The first, I'd say, 35 or 40 percent of the book is all about um, 1988, 1989, 1990 Romania, including the revolution. Um, that was one part of the book. And then the second part of the book jumps forward ten years to Moldova and the Soviet, the breakaway republic of Transnistria. Hence, in the sense, if you can imagine a, a Matrushka doll with a doll within a doll within a doll, the Bastard Republic um, refers to that, that kind of situation where we have... Latin culture marooned in Eastern Europe, abandoned by the mother and a cruel father, a cruel father being the Russians mm-hmm. historically over centuries, and then Romania, which is the cultural foundation for Moldova and back to the Roman Empire so the history plays a casts a very large shadow over all of these events and to understand. A lot of it, you really need to understand some of the history, which was a challenge for me to incorporate it into the book without slowing the narrative. Mm-hmm. So that last 60% begins in 1998 when I was back in Romania teaching for six months at a university in Transylvania. And it's not Dracula University. It's, um, it was Babishpolia University, very old university. And I was there for six months for the um, fall term, and had occasion to visit Moldova because I had hosted several Moldovans through the uh, Project Harmony the summer before I left for Romania, and they told me you must you must come to um, t- to Moldova, and I was assigned those people because I spoke some Romanian, so that's that's how I ended up getting to Moldova in the first place, and just immediately was in love with this this sad but amazing country that had such potential, which still is not realized, and wound up then in the breakaway Republic of Transnistria, and one thing led to another, and I've had numerous visits there since. The last one, actually, was two summers ago, but that was after the publication of the book. So the book takes us up through 2015. Uh, It was my last trip to Moldova, before the recent one, and to the breakaway republic of Transnistria,
0: and Romania and Moldova border each other. Yes, right? they do. Yeah, and so uh, the there was a quote in the book from somebody: um, "Russians decide to meddle." <laughs> it's such a beautiful line. Uh, they meddle a lot with tanks and and other things, right?
1: Yes, they do. Um, They're very ingenious in the way that they can meddle. Yeah. It can be overt, as in tanks. Yeah. It can be very subtle. Uh, The term soft power, but for those who are feeling it, it's nothing soft about it. But, you know, they can just cut off the gas if they want. They can deport the thousands and thousands of Moldovans who were working in Russia for, you know, remittances to send home. There are any number of ways they, of course, can can meddle with internal politics, which they do constantly. So Moldova is caught in this tug of war, which is really cold-hearted, I think, between the European Union and the old Moscow access. And depending upon your ethnicity, the country is basically 66% Latin, meaning Romanian, ethnic Romanian, and the remainder is a mixture of Russian primarily with some Ukrainian, and the odd Gaguzian, which are of Turkish extract down in the southern part of this tiny little country. It's a very complicated place, and varying narratives are always at play, and there's this constant tension, and has been since my first visit there, this push-pull between the West and the East. It's been a hard time for them.
0: yeah. Still is. And of it course. still is. Yeah. You talk uh, in the book, you're, you're socializing with people that you met and you're drinking brandy and having, you know, sort of a good time, but it's kind of like drinking brandy and looking over your shoulder at every moment. Is that?
1: Not at all. No. I was just drinking a lot of some of the best brandy on the planet <laughs> and having a wonderful
0: time. Okay. Really? I have
1: to be honest. Yeah. Um, the, these. Interchanges to, regardless of the, the point of view uh, were were always enjoyable to me well, not always. There were some that were deeply disturbing but but generally not, and I think that um, the social lubrication function of alcohol in that part of the world is not to be trifled with okay, and you need to be careful, and you need to be especially careful, I think, um, if you're drinking with Russians.
0: And tell me why, because you will overindulge or you'll say things you shouldn't say?
1: No, 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 just if you're not careful, they'll kill you with kindness in (laughs) in that sense. (laughs) But it's not only Russians, and we don't have time to get into it today. There was a sequel to this book, which didn't happen, primarily COVID shut down my travels, and I was going back to the Caucasus, which is really wild, and I'm thinking of Nagorno-Karabakh, which blew up again. This past year and the Azerbaijanis retook all that territory that the ethnic Armenians had staked out for themselves in the civil war in 1992. Um, I wanted to go back for another several weeks before I wrote about that. And then another one is Abkhazia, (laughs) coast of Georgia, Mm. um, another breakaway republic. Again, uh, now the only way to get to it really was was flying into Sochi in Russia and then down um, across the border by foot into this beautiful enclave, which used to be called the Soviet Riviera. But with the Ukrainian war now, I really can't get into Russia. So this project has been halted, and I'm not sure it's ever going to happen, which is too bad because it was going to be really a study in in ethnic cleansing
0: so you, um, in, uh, Moldova, you rent a car. You had a little trouble renting a car, but you start traveling. Um, I think it was in Moldova. That
1: was actually in, in Romania. In
0: Romania. Okay.
1: Um, and that's how I met all these, pe- these college kids. Yeah. In, 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 in the mountains of Transylvania and wound up at this wedding and, all okay, kinds of crazy right. things yeah. always seem to happen over that part of the world,
0: and you were coming to um uh, these checks where where people were looking at your IDs yes, and yes. all of that and were you afraid
1: it, it no you you would say I was brave and I would say i was I was stupid or at least foolhardy uh-huh I figured I had an American passport and I could speak enough Romanian to the cops that probably everything would be okay. And everything turned out to be okay. Yeah. But there were a few close calls.
0: Do you look back and feel like, um, in hindsight, your life was in danger, literally in danger?
1: Only um, only in that riot that I wrote about in Bucharest in Right after the revolution, so-called revolution, after Ceausescu was executed, and there was this big pro-government rally. That was the only time, um, and I think I was pretty honest about that. Yeah. In the uh, in the book,
0: Tyrone, we in the very beginning of the show, I talked about um, our fear of Russians, but that's that's really a, uh, an unfair because it sort of uh demonizes all Russians but people around the world there's a lot of goodness there too and you found that.
1: Yeah, I found it everywhere. Um even in the most unlikely places. If you read this book, you as you know, you will uh you will encounter a lot of characters because the uh there are a lot of people that inhabit this book and I'm trying to follow them through a very rough period of transformation so you'll meet Nikolai Pajoga who's a award-winning photographer and now teacher who was a Soviet war photographer and his pictures are in this book he became like a soul brother to me and still Mm -hmm. is Um, you will meet ethnic Russians who have a very different point of view Uh, and heartbreakingly so you'll meet Anatol Filippovich Pletistin, who could not be fiction, couldn't create this man, who was part of the uh, Soviet military intelligence, burned his um, Soviet Party membership card back in the 70s when he decided that the revolution was not sincere mm. and that people were in it for themselves. He didn't, he still became, a, was a colonel, but but that ended any kind of, upward upward motion for his career but still was an idealist in his own way and I grew very fond of him through the trips to Transnistria he became kind of both a a guardian angel and a warder almost a jailer Um, I could imagine him in an interrogation room but he was profoundly human disillusioned, heartbroken, and at the same time very generous in his heart. And I met a lot of people like that, regardless of what ethnic side they were on.
0: And you talked about the generosity that they had for you with food or with, you know, alcohol or rides or whatever.
1: It's called aggressive hospitality over there.
0: Okay. And what does that mean?
1: That means you will drink. We will teach you how to drink, you Americans. <laughs> no, but um, people were incredibly open with me, in, including active-duty Soviet, now Russian, actually, Russian officers in the from the 14th Army who were peacekeepers in Transnistria. These people did not have to talk to me. They did not have to bring me into their houses, feed me, introduce me to their kids. Yeah. And this has happened to me wherever i've gone in in this search for some kind of understanding of cataclysmic events it happened in the caucasus too i just haven't had a chance to write about it because i as i said i wasn't able to get back over there since covid political situations have changed making it impossible at this point to get back over to that fascinating part of the world but the people i've met are people yeah they're human beings with wants and loves and hopes, whatever side of the political spectrum they were on.
0: And I was struck by the fact that they had been so enclosed, if that's the right way to say it. When When you came through, they were just bursting with desire to tell their story of some sort. It was almost... A cathartic journey, maybe for them
1: well, and for me too, and and you you 've nailed it right there, Brett, to tell their story, and the one thing that I think they did understand about me is I wanted to hear their stories yeah i wasn 't going to judge them, yeah, I just wanted their stories, and for that reason, I think people trusted me
0: I believe, yeah, for sure, you had an interesting um, observation about two worlds. And you said something like where our democracy is slowly dying and this um, friend of yours there where where his is just beginning can you can you tell me more about that
1: well i would I would change the word slowly right now that was yeah for us that was that was written I mean I was referring to a period twenty years ago really and thinking about both the the birth of of what Nominally could be described as a democracy in both Romania and Moldova. And I still think that applies. It's a messy process. We've been at it how many centuries? And we still don't have it right. So I'm not writing off any of this. I'm not writing us off. But there is something to me very compelling as a journalist and as a sociologist about what it's like to live during these times of such transformation. And that's sort of the curiosity that has propelled me through these adventures in these in this book.
0: The uh, Beatles have a song back in the USSR. Uh, was that, for the Beatles, do you know, was that just sort of an adventure uh, of entertainment or... Were they probing the more deeply, like you were?
1: The, the I have no idea. I think it was primarily um, John Lennon being arch. Okay. You know, but, but whatever it was, great, great tune. Yeah. And I think back in the USSR is exactly what Putin is trying to reconstruct.
0: Right. Uh, so let's talk about Putin. Uh, construct or deconstruct? It's uh, reconstruct. Reconstruct. Yeah.
1: Uh, bringing back what was. Bringing back what was. And he wants his control over the near abroad again. And the most immediate one would be Ukraine. Now, what I'm going to say in no way condones this war. It's not a a glimmer of, of acceptance in me for what's happened. But I understand some of the history that's propelling this. For instance, and a a lot of listeners may not realize this, Crimea was always part of Russia. Until 1954, when Khrushchev, to gain ascendancy as the new leader of Russia, had to broker a deal with the Ukrainians to get their support. That deal was he gave them Crimea. It didn't really matter at the time. It was all one country, you see. Mm -hmm. So... He traded that and it was silently acknowledged, but he got the full support of the Ukrainians for his ascension to be chairman of of the Soviet Union. And in 1991, or when the Soviet Union finally collapsed and when the Berlin Wall went down a little before that, the understanding with Gorbachev was that he would not stand in the way of reunification of Germany. There would be no longer East Germany, West Germany, provided that NATO did not expand any more east. Hmm. Well, we know what happened to that promise, don't we? Right, right. So now we've got even former Soviet republics, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, uh, part of NATO now. And thank God they are because he could um, swallow them up in 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I know we don't – you don't have a crystal ball, but – does he succeed with taking Ukraine? Um, do you have any historic sense on on the prospects of promotion, so to speak?
1: I don't have any idea how this is going to end. Yeah. Um, given the understandable, certainly, attitude of the Ukrainians, which is we will cede no territory. But other, I, this war could just go on indefinitely. And there is, sort of, there is a cultural divide in the far – uh, eastern part of Ukraine. That's pro-Russian, uh-huh. but it's not exclusively pro-Russian, and I, I I don't accept Putin's self-determination argument there. So, I don't know. It's 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 a horrible mess, and I don't see any quick resolution to it.
0: We only have about two minutes here. I want to ask you one question about your writing. The book is very detailed. Did you journal to? remember things do you have a great memory for detail
1: i took a lot of photographs um as as simply documenting photographs so that the the feel of a place the visual feel of a place would remain yeah Um, i took a lot of notes i recorded a lot okay i recorded a lot of conversations most conversations in fact
0: wow And people knew that? Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um,
1: You're in Russia.
0: (laughs) So the book, how do people get Bastard Republic?
1: It's easily had. You can buy it on Amazon. Um, You can go into any of your local bookstores and ask for it by name. And that would be the best way to get the book because the distributor is um, one of the largest distributors in the world for um ingram spark um i'm not sure that's
0: so it's uh, available right here in waterbury no doubt if you it.
1: go into the bookstore and you say i would like please yeah for you to order a copy yeah it's not exactly you know a bestseller though i've had um calls from uh england from Australia, from New Zealand, about the book, and I've been on some radio shows in Australia because of the book. So it has a wide reach, but it's thin.
0: uh, It's a great read, uh, Bastard Republic by Tyrone Shaw. Uh, Our hour has come to an end. Tyrone, I want to thank you so much for coming in and joining me and uh, look forward to having you come back. and Let's hope you get the next chapter. I hope so. Yeah. This is Brad Ferlin, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV, here in historic Waterbury, Vermont. We will be back with Jane Youngbauer in Destination Imagination.